So, Kagan, it's good to have you back with us this morning. And it's good to be with you all this morning. Oh, yeah, you're going to applaud. Wake up, welcome her. And if you want to welcome her even a little bit more. Oh, you know what? Uh, let's use this one down here. Can you give that, Linda? Yeah. And um, if you want to uh, welcome her just a little bit more, we might say welcome, Kagan, because she's going to be joining us permanently for a while. It's, it'll come on. Am I good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Thank you yeah. guys so much. She's yeah. going to be uh, joining us. Uh, Elizabeth Wills was with us for just a short while, and, and as many of you all know Elizabeth well, but uh, she took a full-time position and then couldn't no longer work with us, and Kagan's back in town finishing up her degree, and as she does that, she's agreed to kind of work with me and Brad and help illuminate us, enlighten us, and provide a third perspective because Brad and I have become like an old couple and we finish each other's sentences all the time now. So, so it's been great to have Kagan in on this conversation with us and then to have her in here this morning. So um, we look forward to seeing your involvement just continue to kind of blossom with us. So, Thank you. Yeah, it'd be very, very, very part-time, but we're just excited to have Kagan with us. She used to sing, for those of you who didn't, didn't know, Kagan used to sing with the band before leaving out of state and heading up to Baltimore. So we're talking about... Um, uh, we're talking about this idea of gluttony, and we'll get into what gluttony is and what that means, but uh, we're also kind of giving it a context uh, with critical race theory because that's kind of a hot-button issue that's out there, and it's a great illustration on part of the disconnect that we obviously have in our culture today, um, but there's also a disconnect with how we respond to this disconnect, and that's really where these seven deadly vices come into play, I think. Because we tend to see all of sin as an individual thing. We tend to see sin as a, as a sort of evil thing against God when, when I'm trying to understand or trying to come to this understanding of understanding sin as where we're disconnected. And we do that in so many ways. So uh, I wanted to throw up this definition of critical race theory again. And, and just remind, and you can kind of read it over here and... She, you gave a nice summary definition last week. I thought we'd throw it up here again. Just be, so this is what I pulled off Google. Okay, so who knows how how just accurate it is, but it's close. Critical race theory: a critical look at how race, racism and disparate race um, racial outcomes are the result of complex, changing, and often subtle social and institutional dynamics, rather than the explicit and intentional prejudices of individuals. So it speaks to the systemic kinds of realities that we live in, right? How does that speak? I mean, does that resonate with you? Does that fit with? Because your specialty is in critical race theory. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that this is a pretty comprehensive definition of the subject. Um, it really looks at the bigger picture. It's not trying to place blame on anyone individually, but it's looking at how the systems we live in impact our choices as individuals, impact our, our outlooks on life, our relationships, our connectivity, and how those greater systems really push us away from each other when connectivity and community is all that we really need to be focusing on. And I think it's really interesting that um, a lot of people want to place blame on the individual, but this definition states that it's not the intentional prejudice of any one person. It's not about that at all. Yeah. So I thought I'd throw this image up here and we'd start playing around with just what, what this means, okay? Right? So um, what is the elephant 
in the room to you? When I say elephant in the room, what does that say to you? Race. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that just to kind of, it's uncomfortable. It makes people kind of a little bit, you get kind of uncomfortable, but that is, that's the world we live in. Everything that's built around us, our society, our economy, everything is built upon race. So why not, why not talk about it? So let me, let me push that, and, and, and we're going to have more of a conversation today than an interview, because Kagan and I are going to do this from time to time and have conversations, um, and rather than sort of formal kinds of interviews, because things just spontaneously start to surface. Um, so, so in, in, yes, race, elephant in the room, race. There's something else that's missing, something else that's there that I don't feel like we're facing. And... It becomes, when, when I start thinking about race, or when I start thinking about it, I start thinking about that thing, rather than my thing. What is that thing? That thing is race, yeah. and racism, mm. and that thing that I'm not. Right. right, like there's a disconnect in between me and this thing that we're talking about. Right, okay. yeah. So, so for me, that elephant in the room becomes something even much deeper and unconscious, and that is my connective part that I play in reality. Um, Yeah, I I think whenever we talk about racism, when we talk about community, we kind of kind of take ourselves out of the equation and start looking at it from the outside instead of looking at what parts of community that we play a role in, what kind of things are we impacting, what kind of positions do we find ourselves in, and especially in in the confines of gluttony, what are we what kind of gluttonous things are we kind of sitting ourselves in, but that may not even look like material gluttony, that look like spiritual gluttony, connectivity that is gluttonous. Like you want your cake and you, you want to eat it too. You want to have friends, but you don't want to have arguments with your friends. You want to have community, but you don't ever want to have to be upset with anybody we want to look in for that comfort. space. We want to look for comfort. But yeah. in that, there, there's gluttony. You is facing can't... racism comfortable? Oh my gosh, no. no. Oh my <laughs> so, goodness. I mean, so yeah, we want to look for comfort. So right. what do we do? You know, we, we, again, we objectify. And so part of our, I think part of, as I understand it, part of my spiritual struggle or part of my struggle with my spirituality has been my, how easy it is for me to objectify things. Like, I won't, we won't get into it, but I'll use it as a quick example. When, when, when Will Smith and Chris Rock had that wonderful Oscar moment, right? I mean, the interesting thing was everybody had an opinion. Everybody. Everybody jumped on it. Everybody pointed to that object, right? And, and only a few people saw this as relational. Like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? I don't, I don't feel this, but I want to feel what's going on here. Right. How many of us actually approach that moment from this perspective of, this feels painful. What's going on here? Right, and there was a lot of conversation about what you should or should not have done, but it was, there was not a lot of people placing themselves in that scenario. What would you actually do if you found yourself in a place where your loved one was being verbally attacked? Like, what would you actually do? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, like you mentioned this, when we think of gluttony as a spiritual thing, I mean, to me, that was a really powerful example of how we sort of have gluttonous orientations towards, towards our lives. We get, we get uh, um, uh, overwhelmed, well, we overwhelm ourselves with, with media, but we, we immediately kind of go to those places that are quote-unquote satisfying as opposed to discomforting. And we may find ourselves in discomforting, you know, debates at that point, but we continually look for a place of defense, right? right? Instead of this um, sense of 
openness. So gluttony is really about what we fill ourselves with. I mean, as I'm thinking about it, it's what we fill ourselves with that actually distances us from the authentic experience of where we are and who we're with or what we're doing. I think that's deeply profound because it, it really is you're searching for something to fill an, an emptiness, a space that you fit, like that you feel inside, but it's whatever it is that you're grasping at, you need more and more and more of it because it's, it's not filling. It's not fulfilling. It's not giving you what it is that your heart is seeking for, which I think we come, we circle back to this all the time, but it's, it's community, it's connectivity. And gluttony is like an active step in the other direction that you're just, you're choosing something else instead of choosing to make yourself vulnerable, instead yeah. of choosing to, to lean on people, to trust, to grow. And I think everyone likes to think that growing together is comfortable. It's not, and mm -hmm. it, and it's, but it's deeply rewarding when you do make it through that process and there's a bigger picture that you can be a part of. Yeah. So, so Ed, this next slide, is that word, does that, in, does that speak? To Oh, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip this for now. Uh, this was the Apple, uh, this has to do with control. This is a great artist, and I can't think of his name now. He wrote The Well of Being, and um, I cannot think of it, the artist's name right now for the moment, but I will move on beyond that, because I wanna get to this next thing. All right, look beneath your fear. This was a quote. Um, did I give you the name, the author of the quote? Did you see that? Uh, I can't. Higgins, Gareth Higgins, thank you. Look beneath your fear, and you will discover what it is you really care about. What you wish to protect, people, places, things, hopes, dreams, aggression, aggression, shame, and disconnection don't work as ways to make our lives happier. I mean, it's what we're saying. So gluttony is this kind of way in which we try to fill ourselves or satisfy ourselves with comfort and distance ourselves from pain. And yet it's the very thing we're, it's like what Linda was saying in the prayer, we're not, the very thing we need to do to experience love is to remove the barriers. And so um, I, how does that speak to then how we face issues of racism? Ooh, um, I mean, I don't expect an answer like solves all the problems, right. but, but just what comes to mind? Um, it, all of this, this topic where we are in our world right now is just, it's deeply unsettling. It's uncomfortable. It, it makes me uncomfortable, but to put myself in this position, to put myself in a room full of people, to have a conversation, to, to allow myself to feel this fear, because even though I may not look like it, I'm terrified to be up here having this conversation, but I would much rather feel this fear, I would much rather be in this place and be present with these emotions than I would be hiding in my room, hiding behind my own, you know, my covers, watching my cartoons, enjoying my day, because it just, this means something to me. This means something to humanity to be able to put, a th not even put aside those feelings, just hold them mm. in one hand mm -hmm. and in the yeah. other hold the courage to, to do something about it, to, to want to put myself in these situations, to want to have these conversations, to kind of allow yourself to experience something you never thought you'd be able to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the next slide, I think. Oh, the next one there, yeah. So gluttony, idolatry, addiction, racism. I mean, I threw these up there because I wanted us to kind of think about these really quickly, but they're all kind of the same. I mean, we face, I mean, racism itself is, is, is systemic, but it's a systemic way of disconnecting ourselves from one another and from life itself. 
and the very essence of who we are. I mean, and spiritually, we speak of finding the imago dei or the, or the sacred in one another. But when we turn to what's comforting, like with gluttony or, or, or addiction, which is the same thing, uh, when, we, when we do that, we are essentially, idolatry is an interesting word because it doesn't mean like worshiping something, a statue. It's worshiping, but if you know what the word worth, worship means, the root word, we were playing with root words earlier, means worth, to find worth, to give worth to something. But with idolatry, what you're giving worth to, like gluttony, is emptiness. It's lifeless. So what you're, what you're doing is you're looking for something to give life, but you're worshiping or you're giving worth to something that's lifeless. And if you think about what we worship, what we give worth to, it's often those places that are comfortable, often those places that are strong beliefs that are identity-oriented beliefs that we stake our you know, lives on, but at the same time, it's more gluttonous than it is life-giving because it's, it's disconnecting. A lot of the stuff we turned, we were talking about this, where we turn for comfort, right? What is, I mean, how, how do we do that? How do we turn, how do we face these difficult places without kind of returning to gluttony? Oh, um... Well, first, I feel like I, I have a question for you. You've okay. always got the great question. Okay. So I have All a question right. for you. Because in, in terms of kind of we're feeling this sensation or this desire to feel something, you, there is a, there's a motion, a feeling, an emotion that you feel to be gluttonous. What is that feeling for you? And how do you even identify it? Because I feel like a lot of our gluttonous actions come from a place of not knowing. You're unaware. You're not sure Absolutely. what it is that you're doing until... Yes. Yes. It's done. Yes. So what is that sensation yes. for yes. you and your experience? It's very mindless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we do it out of habit, right? Addiction, what's addiction? A habitual pattern, yeah. right? So we might say we're not addicted because we're not addicted to a chemical substance. We're addicted to a way of seeing the world. And for me to, to deal with that is to remind myself I'm probably seeing this the same way I always see this. So it is a, again, a spiritual practice for me is to tell myself, I am probably seeing this the same way I always see this. How else can I see this? What else is there? And I have to listen at that point. But it's also really vulnerable. It is deeply vulnerable. It's, uh, you almost have to purposely put yourself in a position to stop. Like, and our world is so busy all the time, but you kind of have to, to plant both feet and just stop for a moment. Because for, for me, my gluttony comes from a place of anxiety. It comes from a place of not being sure. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? Is this working for me? Is this not working for me? And then I just kind of have to stop. Like all the thoughts, all the anxious feelings, all the emotions, I just have to stop and I'm like, wait. What is it that I need from this situation? What is it that I desire from this situation? And then what else is there? What else am I feeling? And I think you're right. What, what, how am I thinking about this in a way that I've always thought about this? And how can I shift the perspective? Because I think it's difficult to shift perspective unless you have these kind of conversations. Because you don't even know you have a perspective until you hear someone else's. Yes. Right. Right. So, so the next slide is sort of the, the, the alternative or the, or the counter narrative, you might say. Um, I, I, in the title, I said gluttony, a path to devotion uh, or the invitation to devotion. I think so. I titled it. And, and so it, it, what, you know, devotion 
has this, uh, has this root word meaning attention. It means attention to something. And when we think about all the ways we relate to life and the ways we relate to anxiety, like you're mentioning, how does attention then, how can we practice attention in a way that opens that? Because we were talking about trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Because gluttony also comes from a place of trauma. We were talking about um, anybody who's ever experienced depression will will automatically be thinking the what if because yeah. there's a there's a chance a possibility of being in that place again and that's the last thing that you want to be in a place of with that we talked about the great depression babies they grew up watching their parents hold on to things in gusto because they had experienced such a level of just nothingness and so once you've been delivered from a place of trauma, or once you've been able to realize that you are traumatized, what then are you to do? You're supposed to heal. And in that healing, in that realization of your own healing, because sometimes, sometimes I feel like people don't know that they need to heal because they don't feel broken. They're just operating and living through life mindlessly. But once you become aware of the hurt that you've experienced, the trauma that has been impact inflicted on you. And I think a lot of people think trauma is like this, this great big event, but it doesn't right. have to be like that. Right. Divorce causes trauma. Scraping your knee or breaking an ankle causes trauma. It can be the smallest thing. Well, and I wonder how much of us really realize how traumatic, how traumatic our reality is. It's deeply traumatizing. Right now. Deeply traumatizing. And I think healing from that, realizing that, you know, I can, I can be whole that I don't have to be searching and grabbing at these things consistently, that I can be in relationships with people and heal together is revolutionary and is an idea that I've been exploring personally, just kind of spending time with my dad and my mom and having conversations about what it's like to grow up. And it's rough, it's not easy, it's hard, but knowing that someone else has been through it, that they have been able to get to the other side of that is, is one of the most beautiful things I've ever personally experienced. So if it's thinking, I mean, if, it's, uh, if we think of gluttony, uh, the sin of gluttony uh, as, a, as a disconnected experience, as, as being what we're, that we're trying to fill ourselves or to comfort ourselves with something that's empty, right? I mean, it looks like it's, it's nourishing. It looks like it's for our well-being, but ultimately it feeds that same disconnect rather than bridging and, and reconnecting. So how do we move from that practice into then devotion? What in, what, what in the heart of that is inviting us toward devotion then? I don't know, Tom. You tell me. <laughs> it's a mind shift, I think. I mean, it really is. I, you know, I put this word up, justice. I think everything that we do, Linda and I started this two years ago, we started talking about how everything basically that we're participating in. We even thought of COVID as sort of a wake-up call, right? But, um, or looking at it as a wake-up call, uh, because again, it speaks to our interconnectedness. But the, um, the whole point and path of this, if we look at the Old Testament, if we look at most religious traditions around the world, they all speak to this sense of being connected with others in the same way we, connecting with others in the same way we want others to connect with us. So there's this sense of right relationship. Well, and then that kind of makes things sticky because then you have to figure out how you want people to relate to you. And that demands introspection. That absolutely demands a moment with self. That 
it really does require you to have a very deep understanding of what it means to be in relationship with self. And I think it's... How do we do that? Oh. How do we do that, Kagan? I think it looks different for everyone. <laughs> it really, really does. Because I think... I've, I've been thinking thoughts. I do, that, I do this a lot. I think thoughts while I'm having conversations, and it's, it's hilarious. But... <laughs> I personally, Somebody knows what you're talking about here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I personally am, uh, I'm an introvert. I prefer to be alone, I really do. I prefer to be in my space, by myself, just hanging out with my own thoughts. And it genuinely just dawned on me that that is my act of gluttony. That I, that I just, I revel in this aloneness because I, no one can tell me what I'm doing wrong. No one can criticize me. No one can encourage me to do something different. No one can tell me, hey, man, you should probably fold up your clothes and get out the bed. There's no space uh, for, no, for connectivity in that. And, it's, and that's interesting because I've never really thought about that being my gluttony, my, my reveling in my comfort. Mm. And mm. I think it's just another side thought I've been having. Uh, at the very root of racism is, is greed. That's all that it comes from is this idea that if you have, I won't have that as long as, you know, as long as I can keep it here, I don't have to ever worry about it being out there. I can make sure that yeah, my, yeah. my things are taken care of, but, and I don't care what happens outside of that. That is the root of oppression. It's the root of racism. It's the root of, of disconnect because you have the haves and then you have the have nots. And when right. you think about that being yes. done on purpose... That's got to be the most greedy thing I've ever heard in my life. And, and that's, a, that's really the, I think that's the, that's the challenge I think we have. We talked about this right before this morning about if we were to think of what a song, you know, we all have sort of songs that we sing in our heads or we have songs that we relate to that we kind of carry around with us. They speak to sort of some kind of sense of, a, they empower us or something or so they anchor us sometimes. Um, in, in other words, we devote, we devote ourselves to those things, right? And so we were talking about what song would be, a, would be the song that you need right now. As a person who is in your, real, your reality, as a black person, as a young adult, as a, and, and as a person of, of, of some privilege, right? I mean, but still, people are going to see you and relate to you differently than they do to me. Um, and I have had a lot more privilege and power in a lot of ways. What's the song that, that is going to be helpful to you? Um, for not, me, not a title, but like the sure. theme. Yeah. <laughs> for, for me and for, for women and, and people that look like me um, or that can share some sort of something in my experience is reminding myself that I'm enough, that, that just being alive is worthy. And I don't have to do anything to earn that worthiness. I don't have to prove anything to anybody to be enough. But everything that I have, everything that I've been given, the gifts, the talents, everything that is me is enough. And I, I think it sounds kind of kitschy, um, but it's, it's deeply profound. And I have to stop and remind myself all the time because, you know, you know maybe if I had X, Y, and Z, I'd be better. Maybe if I had X, Y, and Z, I'd be more comfortable. Or, you know, maybe if I, if I changed my appearance, I think about taking my piercings off, like all the time, and I'm like, maybe if I looked more normal. So, w would you say that's a gluttonous attitude? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, but what do you think's um, being invited in that moment then, instead? 
acceptance. Acceptance, like really just accepting that, you know, I am who I am, where I am is where I am. Being 20 something in this world is not easy and it's not great, but I'm having a wonderful time. I'm alive and I'm deeply, deeply passionate with being alive. And I think just that in itself is not something you see in a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people even know that they are alive, but there's so much joy to be had in just that. Being able to wake up every morning is fantastic. Yeah. So for me, that song, as I thought about this last night, um, really is I think about my relationship with life and, and one another and, and, and where I am disconnected. I told you the other day that like when I went to a meeting and I looked for people that I knew and I didn't go sit there. I went and decided to sit down with somebody that looked completely different from me. And then to listen and to engage. Because my spiritual practice is finding the connection. That's for me, that's always the spiritual practice. And to do that, my song really is more about silence and listening and being present. Um, so for me, when I think about gluttony and those things I want to lean into or those things I want to look for comfort from, what's really being invited there, if I'm thinking about laying my, my, myself down, my everyday life, my everyday, as, as Romans was saying in the text, my everyday existence, if I'm thinking about laying that down, it means to be present to where the sacred is speaking in those moments. And to do that, I have to listen. Well, and that... Oh, you said it again, and now I'm, I do it. I do it all the time. Um, I'm, I'm thinking back to the conversation that we had last week where I mentioned um, providing space for others. Is, is, that's exactly what you're doing yep. By, yep. by consciously making the decision to be a recipient of someone else's message. You are then making space mentally and physically for someone else to share their unique voice. And I think that is something that we don't talk about enough is just kind of being quiet yeah, and, yeah. and allowing someone else the privilege and the honor to be heard because that's healing in itself that creates that connectivity when someone can feel that you're listening that you've actively decided to put aside whatever it is that you want to be doing or might be thinking or any opinions that you might want to share and you make that space for them and you allow them the opportunity to be heard without judgment, without interruption, mm -hmm. that is, is probably one of the most important parts of community that comes from a place of privilege. I feel as if there are people who will never have the opportunity to share their voice because no one's listening. And that's a part of oppression that a lot of people don't talk about, but just being able to be heard yeah. is deeply healing. Okay. So we're going to close with that thought then. We're going to just as a spiritual practice, as an invitation to engage in kind of a spiritual practice is to take an opportunity when we find ourselves leaning in, running from moments or leaning away from moments, instead looking for that where we're looking for comfort, we're looking for familiarity, or as I did this past week, I took the bait and I dove in full force, feet first with all of my opinions about something, you know, and then realized how dirty I felt afterwards. You know, I mean, when, when we do that, when we do that, it's a moment and invitation to wake up to the fact that this is what we do. And what's invited here is to savor the moment, is to pay attention and to listen and see what we don't know. Right, listen to others that. and listen to self. Yeah. 
All right, band, come on out. Kagan, thanks again very much. We could go on and on. It, it really is, we're gonna have so many great conversations.